Ladies and gentlemen, we are coming to you live from inside Lincoln's Nose in a national monument high atop a mountain in Rapid City, South Dakota. This is the Mount Rushmore Podcast. My name is Jeff, and this is my good friend Richard. Hello. And Michael. Howdy. And this week we are going to debate the Mount Rushmore of dramatic acting performances by non-dramatic actors. Richard chose it. Justify. So uh, we've talked a little bit about this in, I think, other uh, uh, ways. Yeah. You know, we've talked a little bit about musicians who are actors. Yeah. Or athletes. And I'm just, yeah. And musicians. I'm always just kind of interested in people getting outside of their comfort zone. And I think that, you know. Is that why your foot is tracing up my leg? Slightly. Oh, God. Okay. I, I I, I'm kind of interested in this idea of. You know, it's been said that comedy is harder to play than than drama. Yeah, because you have to do all the stuff that dr- that dramatic actors do, plus mm-hmm. get a laugh. Yeah. So I'm kind of so I started looking at it from that standpoint. Not all of my choices are necessarily comedic actors, but there is certainly an element of that to it. Yeah, I think that is definitely something that will be inspired to color in the outlines when we choose the the different performers you're going to choose. But I think it's in the from the eye of the doer, film drama and film comedy is probably both comparable. In the eyes of the viewer, I think it's hard for them to judge uh, whether something is dramatic or not. But everybody, that's right. Everybody's told a joke. Everybody thinks they're funny in some way, shape, or form. Look at this pod- listen to this podcast. Listen to this podcast. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So our Richard chose the topic, and then Michael begins. So I approached it kind of similar to you. It, I didn't just choose comedians, although that was definitely like the first pass that I wanted to take. Oh. But it's, I think what happens often is that someone is a comedian and they get pegged in a certain role. And that's yeah. how you see them. And that's definitely how I came across my first mm-hmm. choice, even though he had done a number of different dramatic acting roles. But uh, Bill Murray in Lost in Translation. Oh, wow. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Bill Murray was this, you know, ex-Saturday Night Live alum made most of his films most of his films were comedies leading up to this movie in 2003 you know Rushmore's kind of a comedy kind of a drama I wouldn't I didn't yeah. know if I wanted to choose that one yeah either but I think and he's done other things like um what was the one that he well there was he Broken did, Flowers the Jim yeah. Jarmusch what was the one that he did to, Razor's Edge was yeah the, the, the Ghostbuster like I'll do Ghostbusters if you finance Razor's yeah. Edge yeah so he's had dramatic acting roles, but I think this is the one, and this is also, I know where I'm kind of all over the place right now. This is another theme that seemed to pop up was people that kind of play themselves in a dramatic way, it seems to be a little bit easier or more natural. And I think in Lost in Translation, he's playing kind of an older, not broken down comedian, mm-hmm. but he's definitely a comedian. Well, he's supposed to be or, an action star, isn't he? Oh, is he? I don't. Was rem- he? Remember. I think he was. Yeah, I thought. I always thought he was supposed to be more like a Harrison Ford type. Uh, oh, because of the endorsements that he's been asked to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think they even mentioned at some point that he, oh, okay. that he keeps doing these action movies. Oh. That's funny. I felt. I felt like it was a direct, almost like, okay, Bill Murray, you're going to play sad Bill Murray. Yeah, and this is almost feels like very much Bill Murray playing the real Bill Murray. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's still plus Scarlett. I think Hansen. that still holds. Yeah. Regardless of what But I th- I think that this performance in itself was like, oh, he can he's a little deeper than you know, wild and it uh, just kind of like yeah. a, a wild personality. Yeah. He's deeper than kind of the he's not meatballs. Jack Tripper or yeah. 
Jack Winger, sorry, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Or Jack Tripper. Or Jack Tripper. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I don't know. This is one that, like, you could say, okay, well, now we can cast Bill Murray in dramatic roles constantly yeah. if that's what he wants to do. All right, Richard, what do you got? All right, so my first choice is Henry Gibson in oh. Nashville. Well, okay, yeah. Um, that's amazing. Yeah, the laughing guy is now all of a sudden on. All of a sudden, yeah. like, doing Altman movies. Mm-hmm. And I kind of chose this one because I think Altman has a had a uh, history of yeah. doing of kind of doing unconventional casting. Yeah, or casting people who you wouldn't necessarily think of yeah. as dramatic actors in some dramatic roles. Even in Nashville, I could, Lily. Have, yeah. I could have chosen Lily Tomlin, yeah. obviously, and that was her first ever movie role, mm-hmm. not just dramatic role. But before that, she'd just been sort of a television yeah. comedian. Having done again, laugh in mm-hmm. and kind of her own specials. Oh, that's a fun choice. Um, so I could have done that, but I decided to go with Henry Gibson just because I think he's someone who is so. I think you look at Lily Tomlin; even her comedy uh-huh. had like a sense of. I mean, she wasn't doing like broad bits. Yeah, you know, she was doing very specific kind of character studies yeah. that had a very dramatic, I think, core to them. Mm-hmm. Versus Henry Gibson, who was the poem guy, yeah. of laugh in, yeah. You know, it, it, not someone that you would think of. And even after his in his career after this, you know, if you think of Henry Gibson in movies, you probably think of him as the head of the Illinois Nazis. Yeah. From Blues Brothers. Um, but this role where he is playing this sort of like Haven Hamilton, the mm-hmm. uh, this sort of like lo- uh, Porter Wagoner type, yeah. I guess. He's kind of country patriarch. Yeah, this kind of country patriarch. And there's something kind of like smarmy about him mm-hmm. in a way that's that kind of propels everything else a lot of the stuff that's going on that kind of i think showcases that nashville is this very inclusive society and that either you're on top or you're not mm-hmm. and sort of that's one of the themes i think of the movie is that you know either either you've got fame or you don't and if you don't all you care about is trying to get fame and yeah. if you do have fame all you care about is trying to stay on top yeah um, it's a great performance, and he had to, you know, much like the rest of the cast, he had to write his own songs. Yeah. One of the songs was actually based off on a poem that he had originally written for Laugh-In. Oh, that's funny. Um, and I just think it's a great performance um, of someone who you just wouldn't necessarily put into that category of being a great dramatic actor, mm-hmm. but obviously had the chops. You know, if you've seen Magnolia, you know him as sort of the pain in the ass to... Uh, to William H Macy's uh, mm. quiz kid mm. in the bar there, mm-hmm. so obviously it's 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 something that he retained. It's not like he had this one great performance and then nothing else. Um, but I think it's interesting that somebody was able to kind of mine whatever they needed to mine to turn in this great dramatic performance, and then just went back up back to doing kind of comedy stuff after that. Yeah, and it, you also are talking about bridging television and film so those are two right two much farther different worlds than drama and comedy yeah i mean he wound up doing other altman films and he kind of Uh became a sort of a stock altman player for a little bit there but he didn't really say okay now that i've had this success and he was nominated for a golden globe and won a new york film critics best supporting actor for it he didn't say okay well now i'm a dramatic actor yeah like you see a lot of comedians and it's like oh this is their movie where they're trying to be the dramatic actor yeah and this is where they're trying to make their career transition. Yeah. And it's I'll funny. talk about one of those coming up in a little bit. But obviously that wasn't the point here. He was just sort of 
this was a role that he offered to play. Thought it was a good role, hmm. but didn't necessarily take this as a gateway to then become a dramatic actor. Yeah. All right, Winfield, what's your second? Uh, my second choice is Madonna as Breathless Mahoney in Dick Tracy. Oh wow! Wow. Okay. <laughs> this movie is quite something to see. If you haven't seen it in a while, go back and watch it. It's because fucking bonkers. It is so great. All the perform like. So many of the performances are so over, are so over the top, especially for yeah. the villains. Yeah, you know it's funny because like uh, Warren Beatty plays it pretty straight. Yeah, um, Al Pacino is insane mm-hmm. as uh, lips, not yeah. lips. What's his name? He's not Mumbles. No, no. Not no. Mumbles, Dustin he? Hoffman is Mumbles. Oh yeah. um, as big big boy Caprice. Uh-huh. <laughs> but Madonna comes in and plays a role very similar to how she started to kind of define her career at that point. She was, this was 1990. Mm-hmm. She's two years out from releasing erotica, a very sexually charged album. She's that same year. She put out the book sex, which is again, yeah. very open and sexual and all about her and her body mm-hmm. and her experiences. And the character of breathless Mahoney is like a lounge singer at like, big boys club she ends up you know spoiler alert she ends up being the blank who's kind of the person behind the scenes kind of playing both sides but her performance is of this vixen it's of this being a very wounded person she is very sexual and very intense in everything she does and she is like you know she's constantly hitting on dick tracy getting in between him and his girlfriend uh Test true art. Test true Lynette, art. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Uh, and she's just so perfect mm-hmm. in that role. And you think of Madonna as a musician, which she is primarily. But like her other acting performances before that were Desperately Seeking Susan and Shanghai Surprise and Who's That Girl? These kind of just comedy roles where yeah. she was just kind of like the fun. She was the fun girl. Mm-hmm. Maybe she was a little bit wild, but she wasn't quite this. Yeah. And this is who she ultimately became. So it was interesting to think of this movie and this performance as like, uh, I don't know, an avatar for who she will Mm -hmm. be. Yeah. It does seem like she's shaking off the uh, New York boho street kid. The shackles of being, yeah, Yeah. 22. And now she's 30. And And taking on the uh, um, How to Marry a Millionaire kind of uh, – you know, diamonds are, are a girl's best friend kind of. Uh, uh, yeah, there's there's yeah. definitely, I didn't think about it. There's the classic definitely, Hollywood. A, yeah, like a, a Marilyn Monroe aspect mm-hmm. to that um, without oh, yeah. it being a funny performance the way that Marilyn Monroe yeah. gave funny performance. And sharp-eared listeners will uh, understand that Michael's putting a finer point on our topic, and that is it's not necessarily comedians uh, doing dramatic acting performances. It's non-dramatic actors, so... Was uh, this a dramatic performance? It wasn't yeah. a comedic performance. I thought it was very straight. I don't think she was playing it for okay comedy. Okay, yeah. the I, movie, the movie. I mean, the movies, because you wouldn't say that like uh, Warren Beatty was doing a comedic performance. He was just kind of Dick Tracy. Yeah. All the comedy right. is done by all the goofball characters around him. Mm-hmm. Like all the bad guys are like flat top and <laughs> yeah. humbles and yeah. whatever the guy that. If there was Acts any, like this. all right, uh, Richard, what's your second? 
All right, my second one is Melissa McCarthy in Can You Ever Forgive Me? Oh, wow. A movie that I just saw on the plane mm-hmm. on my recent <laughs> trip back from yeah. Australia. So um, I had a opportunity to see it in a very uh, private setting. Private being several hundred people could also watch me see it while mm-hmm. I was watching it, Ideal too. situation to watch any movie is on a screen that's Oy. two inches by four <laughs> inches. Yeah, you really get the dramatic heft of it if you see it like on something that's uh-huh. smaller than a Walkman. Yeah. I felt like you were waiting for her. Like, she was wry and she was witty. Right. But she was much more in pain in that film than than in her other characterizations. Yeah, I I was looking forward to seeing it. We didn't get a chance to see it when it was in theater, so I'm glad I got to see it because she was great and mm-hmm. like legitimately just great. You know, Do you think this is going to be a role where now the comedy will start to fall away and she'll start to be doing more dramatic roles? Because I think that like I, you mentioned that earlier, and I thought of was this the was this the actor you were thinking? Yeah, of? Yeah, this is who I was thinking of. Where it's like, okay, this is my chance to do something that's not. It, it's sort of, I, I I think I would see her in a way that sort of Steve Martin wound up doing a lot of roles mm-hmm. that were still comedic, but required him to do more acting. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't the jerk anymore. Yeah. You know, like just the over the top. Yeah. Like sort of like. Like in St. Vincent, she has to be uh, a beleaguered, overwhelmed mom. Yeah, and, I didn't see yeah. that. Yeah. she was, was it good? I didn't like it. Okay. <laughs> it was... The f- Bill the Hurricane Murray blows through these scripts, and I think he <laughs> literally changes things on the set. And the directors just, I'm sure they're just. If Bill Murray says, if it's Bill good. Murray says it, and um, there were some story elements regarding his um, uh, his wife who is in a assisted living institution because she's suffering from advanced um, dementia. Dementia, right? And she's played by a woman who's. In, not in, in her August years, but is still model beautiful and right. who is looks like she's, you know, I don't know. It, she, it just does not demonstrate dementia in a, in there a, in a way. There is something inauthentic about yeah, it. Yeah, it's just kind of glorified, this this thing. I but don't know anything about Can You Forgive Me? What's the yeah, basic, me. Yeah. Yeah. What's the basic uh, premise? So basically she plays Liz, Lee Israel, who was a uh, biographer and uh, magazine profiler. Mm-hmm. And it's in the mid-late 1980s. She'd had a couple of bestsellers, a couple of books that had recently flopped. And basically her agent says, nobody wants to work with, nobody wants Lee Israel right now. Because nobody wants these sort of like biographies. I think the most recent one she had done, I was on Estee Lauder. And like nobody, who cares about Estee Lauder? She's a jerk. And also it happens to be that she is sort of a misanthropic jerk. Mm. Um, so she basically is trying to figure out how to pay her rent, how to pay for her sick cat, all this other stuff. And she stumbles upon this scheme to forge letters from famous literary uh, person personas like Virginia Woolf or Dorothy Parker, people like that. Forge letters from them and then sell it to uh, bookstores and other collectors. And she basically, as she gets into the scheme, she gets more kind of, it just sort of starts spiraling out of control. And But you also see her, it's, it would be one thing to play her just sort of as this brash, awful person. Like, a comedian could pull that off. Like, because that's 90% of what most comedians' roles start off with, right? It's the asshole character yeah. who eventually becomes a little bit less of an asshole by the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, 
but it's interesting because you see sort of the humanity inside of her like the like you see that she's a broken person and you can sort of start to pick out the pieces of what happened but but it's never really spelled out for you Mm -hmm. and then also i think it's interesting is the character doesn't have like a lot of remorse yeah for what she's done it's more remorse that she got caught and this whole ride is over. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't play her as somebody who's like, oh, this awful, I did this horrible thing. And it, it doesn't play out that way. Yeah. And I think that's a really, it's a tough thing to make a character someone that you want to emphasize with. Or empath- yeah, someone you want to empathize with. That's almost with. a word. Almost, yeah. I got that. <laughs> someone you want to empathize with even if you don't like them. Yeah. I think that's a tough, that's a tough, uh, ask for any actor, much less a comedian who maybe doesn't have that training or background to pull that off, and she did. Yeah. I think she becomes so funny, we want to be her friend and know her, you even want though to know she's her, an awful you, bitch. Even though she's an awful person, <laughs> uh, exactly. Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Uh, okay, yeah. Um, so we is at our halftime, and this is the Mount Rushmore of Dramatic acting performances by non-dramatic actors, and we invite you to do something dramatic, to go to the Mount Rushmore Apple iTunes site and download, rate, and review past episodes. You could also go to Stitcher. You could go to iHeartRadio. I think we're on Hulu now. Uh, We're top-rated on Netflix. We're getting really close to, like when Disney Disney Plus Plus comes out. Launch, yeah. We are going to be right there watching yeah. all of our favorite TV shows. Yeah. And then also downloading our po- our podcast on a different app. Yeah. Also on HBO, if you watch Game of Thrones, you're actually listening to our it's podcast. Our, it's our podcast. If it's you go integrating. If you slow down very... the dragons roaring, yeah. it's our episode about sweaters. <laughs> did we do an episode about sweaters? <laughs> yes, I'm sure we did jackets. Oh, we, we did, did jackets. jackets. Okay. Yes. I'm not rushing more sweaters. Sweaters, my Sweaters. <laughs> I, get, that down. I can tell you th- there's only one that needs to... Uh, Beyond the Mount Rushmore sweaters, <laughs> and it's in the movie Three Amigos, <laughs> where uh, where El Guapo gets gets the cardigan from uh-huh. his men for his fortieth birthday. Oh yeah, and yeah. he opens up the box and he says, "It's a sweater." <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's done. Don't need any more. Donezo. Mm. Uh, you could also go to our social handles on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, and follow us. You could also. Get in a dialogue with us and suggest topics for future episodes. Let us know how we goofed on past episodes. You could support podcasting in general by going out and listening to great podcasts like this one. Hey, are you a jock that likes comics? Are you a nerd that likes comics? Do you feel left out sometimes? Well, then we've got the show for you. I'm Imran. And I'm Anthony. He's the jock. And he's the nerd. And we host the Jock and Nerd podcast at jockandnerd.com. If you're looking for fun, entertaining, laugh-out-loud geek chat over all the latest Marvel DC shows and news, visit jockandnerd.com. Full spoiler podcast, lots of swearing. Uh, you're such a jock. You're such a nerd. Oh, come on. Shut up, nerd. Okay. And we are back. But before we move on, I want to let you know that next week we are going to be doing the Mount Rushmore of side projects. Is that what it is? Musical side projects. Musical side projects. I'm interested in talking to you guys about that. And maybe if you hear this podcast now, you could go on to our Facebook site and maybe uh, Twitter or Instagram and suggest topics that you think we should talk about for that. But don't suggest like a solo album. If someone leaves their band to do a solo album, oh yeah, that's not a side project. That's not that's, a side that's project. A yeah. Vanity project. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so 
uh, we're going to return to our topic, which is the Mount Rushmore of dramatic acting performances by non-dramatic actors. Richard chose it, meaning Michael will always lead off our second round. Okay, so I wanted someone that was a bit more transformative. So you went with the Transformers. Optimus Prime. I went with <laughs> with Optimus Prime in Transformers the movie. It's a sweet dramatic role. Yeah. Um, Peter Cullen was amazing as uh. as Optimus as he is, always is. He's also Orson the voice Waltz. of the Predator. I think. <laughs> He's the voice of that. Like, He's everything. Clicky, clicky He's everybody. Sound. Yeah. I like that. That all voice actors are like four people. It, totally. That's it's it. June for a couple of Peter idiots. Cullen the guy from Password, the one that used to be married to? Uh, <laughs> oh wait, no, that's Alan Ludden. <laughs> that's Alan Ludden. Or Bill Cullen. I'm Bill Cullen. I'm getting confused. So uh, who's your person? Brian Cranston. Oh, lovely. As Walter White on Breaking Bad. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I love because he's been he was known Brian Cranston mostly as like just a generic kind of TV actor. He was been in a bunch of TV. He things. was yeah. the dad, the goofy dad. From he's fucking uh, Hal from Hal, yeah. Hal from Malcolm in the Middle, who was dancing around in his underwear and he's tiny, you know, tidy whitey underwear. And I loved that he had the dramatic change that he had to kind of be playing this character almost at the beginning of Breaking Bad. Yeah. Almost the first season where he's like in over his head. He's trying. The dad to, is screwing up. He's yeah. yeah. He's trying to do the right thing. He's still, you know, cooking up meth. But he's he's just trying to you know he's ridden with cancer and he's trying to support his family and you could see the character, that character be transformed into this murderous, self centered, yeah. uh, psychopath almost of Walter Wright and I I can't remember what the name of his. The other character, his Jesse Eisenberg, Eisenberg, yeah, you know, like Eisenberg. That transformation from Walter White to Eisenberg kind of mirrors. It feels like Brian Cranston mm-hmm. is like a comedic actor to a dramatic yeah. actor, and since then he's kind of done bits and pieces of comedy here and then, but he's full on a dramatic actor now. Oh yeah, he, he does heavy drama, mm-hmm. and you know, this show really transformed him as an actor, but also showed that. The guy can do more than just being in his underpants and being Tim Watley on Seinfeld and being a comedian. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you hear interviews with him, he's still incredibly funny. Yeah. But, uh, you know, this show is like one of these four, five, tent pole of like the destructive white man shows. And I think he kind of almost does it better than Tony Soprano. Tony Soprano. I think he's a better actor than him. Yeah. Than um, John Hamm or yeah, uh-huh. there, there's like you know the destructive white yeah, man, yeah. self-destructive, the toxic, horrible, yeah, self-destructive, yeah. Do you? Uh, I, I, that's funny that you you remark as to his career evolution. I remember being in a screenwriting class. I think it was 2006, and one of the other students was his assistant, and I remember thinking, oh my god, this woman is a bottom feeder off of a guy whose career is just over. And uh, she was talking about a new project that he had lined up. And I remember just kind of eye-rolling, thinking, oh, good luck, lady. Brian Cranston's not going anywhere anytime fast. Yeah. And I was fucking wrong. Uh, Richard, your next choice, please. All right. My next choice is a uh, action star mm. um, who gave a great dramatic performance in one of my all-time favorite movies I think I've talked about here, which is Jackie Brown. Oh. And uh, the actress is Pam Greer. Wow, what a fun pull. Okay. Yeah, I it's I don't know that it's the best Tarantino movie, but I think it's my favorite Tarantino movie. Mm-hmm. 
It's one that it's the only Tarantino movie that I've never seen. Oh really? It's just never. It's you know when it just it's never, never catches you at the right time. Sorry, sure. dude. And I'm in that s- same boat. Wow. Yep. No, you guys. So wow. you could say that Jeff, there's let's dragons. Stop, let's stop the podcast. Let's go watch it. <laughs> yeah. So we'll, <laughs> we'll be back, back in about two hours. He's going to tell us all this shit that isn't really in the spaceship. When there's she a, saves there was a that. spaceship there. There's, there was <laughs> alien sex. There was no. I mean, basically, uh, she plays a, uh, a flight attendant who is also smuggling drugs for uh, the bad guy played by Samuel L. Jackson, who's great in it. Um, and winds up getting caught up in this whole sting that the FBI wants to run. And she decides that she can try and double cross everybody and take the money that's involved and get out of town. So it's a big caper. Oh, OK. Um, and it would be it would be easy for the performance to be sort of let's get from plot point A to plot point B. OK. But she really imbues this character with this like sense of lived in sadness you oh. know, she's playing someone who's in her late 40s, early 50s, whatever mm-hmm. age, you know, Pam Greer was at the time that this movie came out, who on the surface has sort of like a real glamorous kind of lifestyle, you know, flight attendant, seeing the world, doing all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, when you get down to it, she's broke. She doesn't have a way to support herself, you know, and she's caught up in this, like, she got herself caught up in this, like, you know, bad situation that's just going from bad to worse. Um, and there's just some really great scenes in there with her and Robert Forster. And they have such amazing chemistry together. And you just think about her being Foxy Brown and, you know, yeah, all these like black exploitation roles from the mm-hmm. 70s. And I think it speaks to Tarantino, whatever, you know, magic powder he has, cocaine, whatever magic <laughs> powder that he's able to spit sprinkle on on these actors that he finds yeah that maybe are people you hadn't thought about in a long time and get these amazing performances out of them or to understand that pam greer is the right person for this movie i mean who would think about pam greer at mm-hmm. that time yeah Nobody. do you think it's that or do you think it's that he just writes movies towards people that he's in love with I think in that case, in this case specifically, yes, because I know he wrote this specifically with Pam Greer. Because, like, I'm thinking of, like, Kill Bill, and, like, it feels like he wrote the David Carradine part exactly for David Carradine Mm -hmm. to come in and be the, you know, kind of lone, you know, uh, post, uh, what was the show he's on? Uh, uh, Kung Kung Fu. Kung Fu. Sort of guy that's lost his way, da-da-da-da-da. Yeah. Hey, Michael, try to get this out of my hand. (laughs) It does seem like hero plus time equals pathos. Yes. You know, like even Bill Murray, we think of him as this guy who was the comedic hero, this guy who was always out outwitting, outsmarting, out fast talking his way through these scenarios. And then when we see him at an older age, we realize he didn't he didn't talk his way out of certain things that happen in life, mm. <laughs> like, like dreams being crushed or lost love and all this kind of stuff. You and can talk your way out of situations, but you can't talk your way out of life. Yeah, out of life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's a cool pull. Um, uh, that is now on our required viewing list. Okay, so uh, this is uh, Michael's fourth and final choice, and everything's been B so far. Bill, Breathless, Brian... No. Break. Uh, now I mean, okay, go. So my last choice, and I was so happy you brought 
this movie up earlier. Oh. It's not a B. Oh. Um, I was I kept trying to, but it's a B movie. Okay. Kind of. It's a Seinfeld animated <laughs> classic. Um, Look at me, I'm a B. I'm a B. Uh, I kept trying to think outside the box like Richard was doing and like, okay, it can't just be a comedian. It can't just be like a singer. What about a wrestler? Oh, okay. And of course, George the Animal Steel as Tor Johnson. Yes. Yeah. In, <laughs> That's pretty great. In um, Ed Wood, which yes. is the only good wrestler performance in a movie. I love I love The Rock. He's great, but he's not a dramatic actor. Wait a second. Are you dissing Rowdy Roddy Piper and They Live? Yeah, They Live. Uh, also in uh, whatever, uh, Welcome to Frogville. Hell Comes uh, to Frogtown. Frogtown. I, Welcome to Frogville, too, is, was the sequel, I, I think. Um, but he plays a character. You know, he plays Tor Johnson, who was a Swedish wrestler. Yeah. You know, it's kind of it's a biopic. Oh, yeah, yeah. And... Um, He'd only starred in two of Ed Wood's terrible movies, uh, Plan 9 and uh, Bride of the Monster. And Tor Johnson is just this gruesome human being, just awful looking, <laughs> but apparently a really sweet guy. Yeah. And George the Animal Steel plays him just perfectly. Yeah. He's able to capture that. And it could be that George the Animal Steel is called, like also this gruesome yeah. looking guy. Who is also a sweet guy. Who's also a mm-hmm. sweet guy. It was also a high school teacher. Oh, oh was really? he? For the majority of his career. Mm. Like when he wasn't wrestling, his day job was a, as a high school teacher. Mr. I, the Animal. Yeah. <laughs> could, you quit, could you quit chewing everything? <laughs> um, but his, you know, it's such a small role in it. But um, I'm surprised that wrestlers can't do better on film. Oh, yeah. They're so good in their role mm-hmm. that I don't know why it doesn't, like the acting doesn't. Yeah. Translate like Triple H in as Sabretooth or something. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Tyler Maine as Sabretooth. Yeah. Um, Andre the Giant was Andre the Giant. He was just a, yeah. you, you know, it's, yeah. And, um, but that wasn't a, you know, dramatic role, really. Yeah. And I don't even know if this, he wasn't particularly comedian, comedic in this mm-hmm. movie, although this is kind of one of those borderline, kind of funny, very dramatic, kind of. You know, it's 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 um, Tim yeah. Burton, so it kind of yeah. straddles both lines at times. Yeah, but it was such a good performance and so believable, and it was George George yeah. the Animal Steel. Yeah, and I don't know, I just I he had lines like more legs <laughs> when he's eating a chicken <laughs> and getting massaged. He didn't have to do a lot. Yeah, <laughs> he didn't stretch too far. Yeah, playing another gruesome. I'd say wrestler. like Dave Bautista as Drax is a pretty good assay of uh, comic. Yeah, he was also he was also good in uh, Blade Runner. Yeah, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Yeah, he was pretty superb there. And uh, it's weird that I would never have thought Batista would be like the go to good actor Mm -hmm. wrestler guy. I know, right? Well, John Cena is a guy who acts in movies. He does things. He does movie type things. Yeah. uh, um, Didn't Goldberg was Goldberg in or Universal Soldier? Universal Soldier. We've had some so Stone Cold and... Uh, it was yeah. amazing. It, you know what's truly amazing? We're talking about now wrestling, just general wrestlers who became actors. It's amazing that The Rock survived The Scorpion King. Yeah. Why do you say that? Because that movie was awful. But it was successful. Was it? Yes. But Frazier didn't survive it. How did The Rock survive it? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I thought I honestly thought you were going with Hulk Hogan. Oh, no. Here. Oh. 
I thought you were going to go like. What, no holds barred? No holds barred there, mm-hmm. yeah. No, no, no. Or Mr. Nanny. No. Huh. Those are bad movies. <laughs> okay, uh, Richard, what's your final? What is my final one? My final one is Courtney Love from Whoa. People versus Larry. Oh, oh wow. Uh, super choice. That's pretty great. Uh, it's a pretty great performance. And she was somebody who had actually started off her her wanting to be an actress. I mean, she had been, she had done these Alex Cox films. So she had yeah. she had auditioned for the the role of Nancy Spungen in Sid and Nancy. It almost seems like it should have been her role. Doesn't yeah. it seem like it was a role that was yeah. just written for her? She didn't get that part, but she got another supporting role, and then she wound up starring in Straight to Hell, mm-hmm. which was Alex Cox's oh, yeah. follow up with an ensemble cast of, to of die for. Yeah, weirdness yeah. of like you know Elvis Costello and Joe Strummer doing Tom a, Waits. Tom Waits yeah. doing this like spaghetti western yeah. movie. Then after that, she decided to get stop acting and started her music career, and we all know about Hole and her relationship with Court, with uh, Kurt Cobain and all of that. Um, and then she decided to start acting again. And one of the first roles she got was as, uh, Larry Flint's on again, off again, girlfriend, uh, fiance, whatever Mm -hmm. she was, Althea. Um, and she's phenomenal in it. And it's just like, where the fuck did this performance come from? It's not cause it's not, you can see where she can connect to the role because, you know, it's a former stripper and there's all these sort of like. You can see some parallels, but it's just like there's like real acting going on Mm -hmm. there. And there was nothing in her background that would make you suggest that would suggest to you that she could pull off like a major heavy lifting acting performance like this. That's that choice is reminiscent of uh, one that I I sometimes Google these categories (laughs) and topics and Bette Midler came up as sure the rose, the rose. rose, Yeah. And she has such. Strength and then vulnerability. Here's this person who leaves it out on, who leads with her chin out in the world and gets knocked down all the time and has such a vulnerability. But yet you put her on stage. If you see a whole concert, you'd probably think of Courtney Love as this incredible, powerful rock star like a la Chrissy Hind or something like right. that. But is able to channel this vulnerability and even just the technique of film acting you need to bring it down. <laughs> yeah. Know, whatever you do, you got you, it's not you're not playing to a stadium full of people, you're playing to a camera that's four four feet away. So. And so many non say non actors, because Courtney Love wasn't yeah. a trained actress necessarily. But pe- but I, I would think, yeah, people who are musicians who or who come at it from some other sort of entertainment yeah. world, that's gotta be the that's gotta be sort of the the default is to overact. Yeah. Right, so to be able to pull off a really kind of interior sort of performance where where you're seeing a lot of things that aren't necessarily being being you're seeing a lot of things that are that are that are very specifically in, internalized, but you can still see it. Yeah, that's a that's hard type of acting. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of that in this role. Yeah. Guys, this was awesome. Uh, I'll just so you know, I'll open up the Borglum bag and tell you what was inside. Jerry Lewis, the King of Comedy. Oh, I like that one. Bill I almost, Murray. I almost went with that one. Yeah. yeah or yeah. Sandra Bernhardt. You could have. Or done Sandra Bernhardt was comedy. great in that. Um, the uh, I think one element of Jerry Lewis's performance in that is also can be traced into Bill Murray's performances in some of his films, in that there's an underlying 
uh, pathos to him as an individual. And also, I have a sense that Bill Murray's kind of an asshole <laughs> on set and a tyrant, and he wants to live by his own rules. And I, and I think of Jerry Lewis as somebody who falls into that category, too. When does the Bill Murray photobombing whatever, when does that shtick get old? I think it already is. Yeah. I think it's past that point. I think we're so, yeah. past the salt date on that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Peter Sellers being there, and then Whoopi Goldberg, color purple. So oh, that's those, another good one. Yeah. Yeah. Those are definitely not. It's funny. There going was, outside of them. There's like that that trio of like comedians: the Robin Williams, Whoopi Goldberg, yeah. like the the, the comic uh, the, relief, the com- relief, comic relief, yeah. and uh, uh, who's the other one? Billy uh, Crystal. Billy Crystal, uh-huh. and. Um, that's, all, they all tried drama to varying degrees of success. Yeah, it's very interesting to see like these these three big heavyweight comedians. All, I don't know. Did Bill, did some people did Good Will Hunting? Some did Mr. Saturday Night. Yeah, and yeah, it all works out. I, yeah. From what I understand, I don't know if this is true. With, maybe it's not with Billy Crystal, but I know Robin Williams and Whoopi Goldberg were actors who tried comedy and then found success. Yeah, Robin Williams that. like trained at Juilliard. Yeah, right? and, yeah, and. Whoopi Goldberg, even her one-person shows had a lot of drama to them. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So that might be part of the I DNA. So. Maybe, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so I will choose these. Uh, f- let's see. All right. Uh, Henry Gibson in Nashville was kind of a cool, unique poll. And because it broke the mold and pulled us out of the world of music, let's go with uh, Breathless Mahoney. And uh, I'll go with Pam Greer. And George, the animal steals. We split that category two and two. Uh, so this has been, guys. I'm going to be super dramatic here. Do the timpani music. The Mount Rushmore of dramatic acting performances by a non-dramatic actor. Do I get my Oscar now? You get an Oscar Mayer movie. Oh shit! Hot dog is good enough. Uh, I'm Jeff. I'm Richard. I'm Michael. Go give me that week. <laughs> <laughs>